Welcome to the Cloud Accounting Podcast, a show for accountants and bookkeepers using cloud technology to make their jobs more strategic and impactful. I'm Blake Oliver. And I'm David Leary. Hey, Blake, how's it going this week? It's going great. How about you, David? Last week, the last two weeks were super, super crazy busy. I feel like there's not a lot happening this week, which is good. And I, I feel like also this is like the feel-good week. I have, I have a good feel-good story, if, if you want to jump right in. Oh, let's hear it. Um, yeah. So... This is on CNN. Meet the 15-year-old who is Microsoft Excel's world champion. And yes, this is a real thing, it said. Uh, so apparently- <laughs> I love the picture. I love the picture. It's, it's the guy holding the trophy. And uh, he's got his slick back hair, his uh, you know, transitions uh, lenses in his glasses. And he's holding up an American flag with a giant medal around his neck. Yeah. yeah and he's even got a little uh, American flag lapel. And he's got his tie and his vest on. Like, it's amazing. Oh, um, and apparently... There's a team, Team USA. So this is a, you know, very patriotic victory. I did not know this was such a big deal, but I think if I just looked, scroll in the article, there was a 760,000 candidates from around the world entered the competition. Wow, that's a lot. Think about it. 152, uh, the final round, 152 students, 51 countries competed. Um, and they competed <laughs> from the 29th to August 1st. So it was a couple of days. And this is an and annual so, competition that, uh, is it Microsoft puts this on? No, it's it's per- hosted by Certiport, a provider of performance-based IT certification exams. I guess this is the second year in a row that Team USA has won the Excel portion of the competition. And he uh, he got he got a thousand points out of a possible thousand. So wow. I, I thought that was kind of easy. The only part of this that disappointed me though, now he wants to win, be the best at PowerPoint. And I was like, oh. There's no hope. <laughs> like, 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 like it was like just just own Excel, like be proud. But no, now it's like oh, he he's going to join the doldrums of corporate America and head down the PowerPoint path as well. The amazing thing is, uh, he started learning Microsoft Excel only one year ago. So this is in wow. one year he knocked out any Excel world champion. So I did not know there was such a thing. It's a cool feel good story. Uh, we should. Try, I almost thought reading the article I was like we should bring him on as a guest. <laughs> Kevin Dimakulangan, and he's 15 years old from Florida. So uh, go Florida. Yeah, it's a cool article, and uh, hopefully, maybe it'll like the spelling bees are on ESPN now. Like, is this going to be next? People will watch TV of people working on Excel. So, of course, the question is: Is he going to become an accountant? And unfortunately, it looks like that's not uh, in the cards for him. He is more interested in becoming a software engineer. But um, you know, maybe he'll figure out how to make life better for accountants by developing awesome Excel integrated software. It's cool. I think I, um, if I go back to my high school days, I think, yeah, 15, 16 years old. I remember I was, uh, in like a math class with like upperclassmen and then they all graduated. And so I had like an extra week cause they got out of school earlier. And I remember, uh, being introduced by the teacher to Excel. Like it, it maybe is what got me to where I am today. Like I was like, this is amazing. So I, I could see a little, uh, I could see the appeal of Excel when you're 15 years old. Well, moving on, I got my copy of the uh, Journal of Accountancy magazine, August issue, and a lot of times I open it up and I'm, I'm, you know, I have a hard time as a tech guy getting interested in gap changes or FASB regulations or standards, right, that sort of thing. But I was really surprised. I found multiple articles in this issue that really appealed to me. And so I thought I'd share uh, one or two of those with you, David. Yeah, definitely. First is actually just a stat from a survey. So Deloitte Digital and MIT Sloan did a survey of about 4,300 global business respondents. And they asked these 
survey takers, do you think that you need to update your skills yearly to work effectively in the digital world? And 90% said yes. So 90% of respondents in this business poll say, I need to update my skills on a yearly basis to keep up in a digital world. Then they asked, how satisfied are you with how your organization is helping you to do so, to learn those skills? And only 34% said yes. So 90% say, I need to update my skills. Only 34% say that my organization is helping me to do that. Got it. So it's just a, the, there's a disconnect. Where are they going to get these skills from then if the organization's not helping them get them? Yeah. And I'll bet you that like in accounting, it's the same situation. Uh, and, you know, with all the rapid technological change going on in accounting, people need to update their skills. If their organizations aren't helping them, that might be a reason for an accountant to leave, a CPA to leave and go to another organization where they're going to be able to get the skills that they need. So I would say if you're having a hard time you know, hiring and uh, finding, hiring, retaining talent, consider adding training into your benefits package, right? Allow people to go and, and go to ERP conferences or learn new technology because what's worse, uh, if they leave or if they stay with you and they learn stuff, I, I think I said that all wrong, but there's a, <laughs> there's yeah, a common well, saying it, around that. Well, it's, it's expensive, right? To, and I mean, you've talked about this before, right? Finding talent's hard. Hiring people's hard right now, right? For uh, growing accounting firms. And so, yeah, if you, you, you got to keep the people you have. Like that's the, the most efficient thing to do. The, the reluctance of firm owners or uh, team leaders to train is they say, well, if I, if I train my staff, then they'll just go and get a different job. They'll get a better job. I'm training them and they'll leave. But, uh, you know, what's worse if, if, if you don't train them and they stay, right? They're probably going to leave anyway if you don't train them because they want the training, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, it's inevitable. So there's one other article that I really liked. And I got to find it. Was in the newspaper? I hear you fitting around. There's like a physical I, I article this time. I'm reading a physical physical magazine. It's it's such a weird experience for me. I wanted to share one of these stats and I had to take a picture with my phone to get it into my notes. Um, all right. So this article is by Sarah Beckett Ference, also in the J of A magazine for August 2018. And it's about CAS, Client Accounting Services, my favorite thing to talk about because uh, I had my own CAS firm. And CAS is getting a lot of attention recently because it's recently hit 10% of all CPA firm revenues are now from client accounting services doing outsourced accounting, that sort of thing. It's more than doubled uh, since... Uh, it's more than doubled in large firms. So firms with at least revenue of $10 million per year, CAS has doubled since 2014. From 2014 to 2016, it went from 3.9% to 9% of firm revenue. So now it's like a big thing. It's like partners are starting to pay attention to it, right? Previously, I guess, true CPA firms, especially ones that did tax and other st- and audit, et cetera, pretty much weren't doing any of this type of accounting services, client accounting services. Yeah. Or it was just like, it was like the ugly stepchild. Okay. Because I feel like, like from my point of view, the last like the 15 years, uh, QuickBooks world, right? Like that's what everybody was doing. Like that was the game, right? And they were all growing and they're all having success. But apparently I was just seeing a small fraction of the rest of the world. And now the rest of the world's kind of waking up to, oh, there's opportunity there. Exactly. Yeah. You, and that's the world I, I was living in as well. It's uh, especially in the cloud. These are firms that have embraced client accounting services. I mean, most of their revenue might be from that, but these are, those were small firms, right? Cutting edge firms. So we were, that was distorting our view. Okay. What, 
yeah, it, if you look at the entire accounting firm profession, uh, you know, revenue, all that stuff. If you look at all across the country, it's it was very small until recently. So now it's basically hit ten percent, which to me is like a threshold that says this is significant. People should pay attention. It's going to grow. This article is about the risks of doing CAS. A lot of firms that are doing tax and audit, they don't know about the risks of CAS. And, and what I like about this article is it uses some real-world examples of um, insurance claims that occurred as a result of liability from uh, firms practicing CAS, but without the proper engagement letters and, and whatnot. So uh, here are the two examples I'll give you. So there was a CPA acting as a de facto CFO for his or her client, and didn't alert the client to some uncollectible accounts receivable. So the, the client had a large amount of accounts receivable that was stale, uncollectible, and didn't or claimed not to know that it was stale. And what happened is that the client borrowed on that AR, secured a line of credit based on that accounts receivable. Then, of course, the owner couldn't collect on the accounts receivable, defaulted, and went out of business. And then sued the CPA saying, hey, you should have notified me that this AR was uncollectible. You never said anything about it. If you're going to do the, if you're going to do client advisory services, you just put yourself at risk because small businesses now are going to expect you to assume the um, liability for business decisions and business mistakes they make because you didn't advise them the right way. Right. It's kind of where this article heads towards. Got it. Yeah. So, the, you know, there's a lot of opportunity in getting involved as a business advisor, but there's also risk associated with that, right? If the business uh, falls apart, you might get blamed for it. So it's really important to have clearly defined scope of services, an engagement letter that says whether you will or will not notify about this sort of thing and whether or not you will or will not have liability. I mean, that may not stop you from getting sued, but if you do get sued, it's going to save you or at least uh, help a lot when it comes to settling that. So uh, there was one other example I wanted to share with you, uh, an example of a CPA who was uh, doing outsourced accounting services, had an engagement letter, and then the client also wanted sales tax returns. So the, the firm started preparing sales tax returns based on the client's data. Uh, this, unfortunately, was never added into the engage original engagement letter. So they were basically doing the sales tax returns without having an engagement letter for it or a contract for it. And during this year long, years-long sales tax preparation engagement, the sales tax law changed, but the firm didn't change the way it was doing these returns. And so then the government came back and hit the client with fees and back taxes and all this stuff, and the firm got blamed for it. Right. So again, example of when you need to clearly define your engagement letter, what you're doing, and you also, if you're providing these ongoing services, you've got to make sure that you stay up to date with the changes in the laws so that you're not putting your clients at risk or yourself at risk. Okay, so this kind of um, kind of reinforces the use of like some of the tools like a practice cognition or tools that, that create help you create those engagement letters and those proposals, right? Because if you're constantly have to, to it's almost not scalable if you just have a Word doc and that's your standard engagement letter, you either have to cover cover every possible thing in it, and then it's like overkill 
for people to, to sign that engagement letter. He's like, well, I don't want you to do that stuff for me, but you're going to have to have some tool to dynamically create these or dynamically modify that contract. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Every, and, and the, the author, Sarah, uh, uh Ferenc points this out in the article that you cannot just use a standard engagement letter. Every cast engagement is different and you have to have a way to, 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 define the scope very clearly and not just one time you have to periodically review that and make sure the client understands that so they have the proper expectation of what you are providing and what you aren't and that's that's where a tool like practice ignition uh, or any of these other proposal management tools you know pandadoc is another one that i've used are super super critical for outsourced accounting so this would be interesting. we should try to actually bring her on um, and the reason why is, I mean, you've been on the side of the fence for a while. I've been on the side of the fence and outside of like payroll, right? Filings and, you know, sales tax filings, people haven't really talked about the risk to their firm very much. Right. And so I think there's an interesting conversation that maybe hasn't taken place at all yet. Yep. Right. And it would be cool that we should try to get her on. I think, um, I think it would be uh, very valuable. Let's do it. All right. I'll reach out to her. If you're listening, Sarah, uh, please uh, get a hold of me on Twitter uh, at David Leary or get a hold of Blake at Blake T. Oliver and uh, join us, please. Well, uh, David, that's all I've got for this week. Oh, and I'm going to be on vacation in Seattle, so we might skip a week. We might do it. We'll see how it goes with me being mobile. Okay. Or we could drop a bonus episode or it depends on the news, right? I guess that'll dictate, right? If it's, if it, if nothing happens, you just enjoy your vacation. But if we have to, we have to pull you out. All right, David. Uh, great chatting. Uh, talk to you again soon. Awesome. Later. Bye, everybody.